Hey you guys, it's your host Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. Today's episode is all about fertility. I'm here with Sarah, registered nurse and mama to one, who's going to walk us through her journey of struggling with fertility and eventually going through the process of in vitro fertilization to get her little baby here earthside. She has an incredible story to tell and so much insight on the process and on everything that encapsulates going through fertility struggles. So listen up and let's get a little bit more educated together. today with Sarah. She is going to tell us a little bit about her experience. Yeah. Hey guys, my name's Sarah. Um, Anna and I are going to talk about my infertility and IVF experience. Um, it's something I'm really open about and I'm really happy to share just because I know for some people it's a really sensitive subject. So my goal of just is just to help other women know that they're not alone in this and that there are resources they can reach out to to get the help they need. And I feel so lucky that you're willing to just kind of open up and share because just like you said, I feel like so many people who are going through this difficult experience of infertility and you know going through the process of IVF have so many questions and to be able to hear from someone who's been through the same experience and can kind of shed some light on the subject is really just hopefully empowering for someone who may yeah. be in a similar situation to what you were in almost like two years ago mm -hmm. your baby's almost two yeah yeah so exciting. It's, it's really hard to talk about and when it was I when I was in the thralls of infertility it was almost like like I was think I was just really depressed and anxious mm -hmm. all the time about it and um, it was just a really stressful time in my life, and I didn't talk about it enough with people. Uh, like, it really, even with my husband, I don't think we, like, talked about how painful that time was. So, um, this is also, you know, good for me to talk about and um, can be therapeutic. So, good. anyways, happy well, to be here. So. Happy Thank to you. help. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you don't mind, let's just start kind of from the beginning. So, yeah. when did you and your husband you know, start to try having a baby? Yeah, so this would have been in 2018. Um, we had been married about three years. I um, had a the Morena IUD, which okay. I know is very popular. A lot mm -hmm. of people have that. And I had, you know, a really great experience with that. I got it taken out. There, you know, I didn't think there were any issues. And I'm not implying that was a cause of my infertility. I just, no, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's the form of birth control I had. Um, mm -hmm. After I got it out, we started trying. Um, on the second month we tried, we actually got pregnant um, and then miscarried in our first trimester. Okay. And then after that, we weren't able to get pregnant until we did IVF and 
pretty much like from the day of that first pregnancy, it was like two years later that we got pregnant with IVF. So that's a long, so, a long time from that. Yeah, it was. It felt like a long time in the moment. I know there are so many people that have been trying to get pregnant for years. Um, so really, my my only advice is just if you feel like there's a problem, like reach out to your doctor sooner than later. So do you feel like you were proactive in your situation? I was. Yeah, I just I kept thinking I'm like it should not be this hard. You know, I'm like mm-hmm. I just could feel there was something wrong um and so uh, we had recently moved to austin texas okay and um i went and saw my doctor there it had been almost a year of trying since my miscarriage and so i kind of had to talk her into it but she agreed to do just some baseline lab work just to see if there was anything wrong Um, And actually, they did find some things, so she sent me to an infertility specialist. um, That kind of doctor is called a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, And they're they're, just looking at your levels, your hormones, kind of the things. Yeah, the reproductive endocrinologists do all the IVF stuff um, and some other things as well. So they treat all reproductive issues. So what they saw in my lab work is that uh, there's a certain lab um, that they look at that shows your egg count, and mine was really low for my age. So I was 26 at the time, and my lab work was showing that my egg count was the same as like a 35-year-old. Oh, wow. So that was kind of the first red flag. Yeah. So um, I went and saw this doctor, and they did more diagnostic testing, um, lots of blood work, lots of imaging, mostly ultrasound. Mm. And they found that I – they it was not for sure on the imaging, but she felt very strongly that I had a partially deviated septum in my uterus, which is oh, instead wow. of just like a nice oval shape, it kind of had this dip in the middle mm-hmm. of just a tish, extra tissue. Um, it's actually more common than you think. Um, she believes that might have contributed to my miscarriage, but not necessarily not being able to conceive. Okay. So. Because I've heard of that, like an mm-hmm. irregular shaped uterus can, you yeah. know, prove to be a problem in conception but yeah. she didn't feel that that was necessary. she felt like reason, mine was only partially divided not okay. some people do have like a full division yes. um but for in my case she said that is probably why I had the miscarriage okay so in some ways it was just nice to have some answers yeah, some sort I, of answer as I was why. like lucky in that way where a lot of people have you know completely like normal bill of health and still can't get yes. pregnant and they don't know why um, so anyways, I had a pretty simple procedure um, to get my that septum removed. Um, and then from there, we talked about all the options. We could have gone the IUI, which is intrauterine inception, which is um, essentially where they just take the sperm and place it into your uh, – I think uh, – I, I actually – we didn't go the – I think uterus. They, do they, they place go all it the way into, into the, the uterus, uterus or just right before the cervix? I believe it's all the way to the uterus, okay. but I will fact check that and come back to that on another episode. Okay, <laughs> I think you're right. Um, I feel like it is. Yeah. But, again, we'll fact check. <laughs> I didn't actually go that route, yeah, so, so I can't, you, say, you for can't sure. say for sure. <laughs> and also, just put another disclaimer out there, I'm not a doctor. I am a registered nurse. Yes, yeah, she's an amazing but I, NICU nurse. I'm not a doctor, so this is not medical advice. Yes. This is just my own personal experience and take on things. Yes. Always the disclaimer here. Right, right. We, we are just people <laughs> chatting about the things we've gone through and 
just hoping that someone yeah. out there feels the same. <laughs> yeah. So this is how my doctor broke it down for us. She's like, you guys have been trying for over a year without getting pregnant since your miscarriage. So she's like, you have a 1% chance of getting pregnant naturally. You have a 5 to 6% chance of getting pregnant with IUI. And you have, based on your age, because I was still young at the time, yeah. um, you have a 60 to 70% chance of getting pregnant with IVF. And so for us, that just felt right. Um, and I think I was just so ready to... Absolutely, after trying for To do it. I'm like, yep, let's, let's just do it. Um, I know some people do have success with IUI, mm -hmm. so I'm not, you know, counting that out for people, but... You know, you just have, need to have an honest conversation with your doctor about it if, if you're having those issues. And do you feel like your doctor is more on the proactive side? I mean, I feel like I've heard a lot of different experiences with people I've talked to where they might not have even been offered, like, the option to go straight to IVF, mm. where it was like, okay, you need yeah. to go through three or four rounds of IUI that are unsuccessful. I guess it just depends on the doctor and yeah. and your health. Um, because I did have some issues there that there were concerns of, I mm -hmm. think that's why she offered it right on the table, and, and I'll explain why. So um, because I have a lower egg count for my age, she explained that everyone has, every woman has good eggs and bad eggs, and whatever egg your body decides to drop that month, it can be a high-quality egg or a low-quality egg. If it's a low-quality egg, you're probably not going to get pregnant. Mm. So she said with lower egg counts, you just have less eggs, which means you've got less good eggs. So her concern was – she asked me, she said, how, well, how many kids do you guys want to have? And I'm like, oh, like at least three, maybe four, maybe more. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't really know. And she's like, okay. She's like, then I think you should do IVF because – um, right now, if you just wanted one or two kids, you, we could probably get you pregnant eventually with IUI. Yeah. But she's like, I would be concerned when you're older and you have even less yes. good eggs that it's going to be really hard to get pregnant when you're you know, more into your 30s if you want to have more children. So she's like, I would recommend getting your good eggs out now while you're young mm -hmm. than waiting on it. Wow. So That's that for me, that was, that she was her so, take on that. Yeah. Um, but that's like I said infertility and like th there are so many <laughs> things that can go wrong with our bodies as well as men it's not always just on the woman right yeah. it, it can also be equally just on the man's part um in our case it was more my issues but um so that they'll also test your partner for a few things okay. but yeah so did Justin even after knowing that it was like more probably an issue with you more uh -huh. so than him he still went through testing and things like that to see if yeah. you had any mm -hmm. other issues okay yeah so they do a sperm analysis. yeah okay. yeah they do it for everyone going through the diagnostics um, which is just the first phase of any infertility treatment so they do a sperm analysis um and his was pretty normal just checking um, like count and motility exactly okay. yep uh, and then they also did, uh, and I don't know if every doctor does this, but our office did a whole like genetic screening on both of us to make oh, sure cool. neither of us were a carrier for the same, um, you know, recessive disorder, mm -hmm. wow. uh, which we weren't. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you get, you get a pretty full workup with everything. Um, which was, you know, just good to have all that done. But it is it is a lot of work just in the beginning. So yeah. I'd say the whole process with, like, 
from our first doctor's appointment to like getting pregnant was like almost six months. Okay. Just because it, it just takes yeah, it just time takes to work through time. all those things. And, and I can imagine, as you said before, like it was one of the most stressful, like anxiety ridden times of your life. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah, here you are having literally like a new workup every time you go to the doctor. Where yeah. You're just like, I just yeah. want a baby. You <laughs> just want your <laughs> I baby. Want, like, the end goal here. Yeah. So, so I can imagine just anyways. It being. Um, for those of you who don't already know, IVF stands for, um, in vitro fertilization. So essentially they retrieve, that's the word they use. It's called the retrieval. They take out your eggs and it's just a surgical procedure. They do vaginally. Um, they take your eggs, they take your partner's sperm, they combine them to make an embryo. That process takes about five days. Um, and that was one of the hardest parts was waiting to hear how, how many embryos you get because yeah. <laughs> oh every gosh. day you get like an update because like they just dwindle down every day so yeah. for us i am um, we got 10 eggs out for me uh-huh. which was about i think for a woman of my age that was like half the normal amount but mm-hmm. for me we were excited, excited. about 10 yeah. that was good and then statistically they say for about every 10 eggs you retrieve you get one to two healthy embryos okay so that's kind of what we were expecting Mm -hmm. um we were really lucky where we got four embryos um we weren't sure what my egg quality was like i know that was one thing my doctor was worried about because i did have a lower egg count that Mm -hmm. can be associated with a lower egg quality um so luckily we we were able to get four healthy embryos so we used one which is now my son ford he's almost 18 months and then we still have three frozen okay so you only had them do one when they did your procedure Mm -hmm. put one egg in (laughs) that was like the worst way of saying that so they they call it a single (laughs) embryo transfer transfer you guys my pregnant brain the terminology (laughs) it's kind of its own little world um so when they transfer the embryo yes they only transferred one yes and most doctors now only do single embryo transfers i know traditionally with ivf they've like put four in there and just see what happens which is true but then you have like all these women having multiples and it's i mean the risk for you and your babies goes way up with twins yes. or triplets or more. Which you know firsthand yes. as a NICU nurse. So I was like, like and I was already babies. like, no way, I don't want twins. Yeah. Anyway, so we did a single embryo transfer. That is the norm now. Occasionally okay. they will do two. Okay. But that is less That's good to know norm. because I had no idea that that was more than normal. I definitely yeah. thought like it's transitioned. two or three was It didn't more than used normal. to be that way. Okay. So, well, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's making that switch from right. a health standpoint for these b- babies and mamas. Yes, that, yes. You know, not that multiples yeah. can't so, carry to term. They can and it can be amazing. Right, right. there are just the risks and complications that mm-hmm. come along with Well, and typically, like, if you naturally conceive twins or triplets, like, your body yes, your is more likely to – handle that versus with IVF it it might not be so yeah understandable yeah um anyways so after the retrieval and your embryos are all uh you know deemed healthy which they also do genetic screening on them just at a chromosomal level so Mm -hmm. they're looking you know for like the trisomies trisomy 13 18 21 which is down syndrome and things like that Mm -hmm. um 
and then you can also find out your genders that way as well okay. we couldn't so we did our genetic screening they have the information on the gender of our embryos that we chose not to not find to out just because <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know I just felt like I'm like how do you choose you know yeah, like I feel like I so, would be the same way I would, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't want to know so then we, like, we, we don't know and, they, and like no judgment of people do choose and want to know but that's just no, how we absolutely. felt at least for our first maybe by the last one we'll yes, so you're pick. like just tell us <laughs> after three or four boys we'll seriously <laughs> you're like cross our fingers with the girl yeah <laughs> right um anyways so then they're successful transfer yes so that well they're frozen so your embryos are frozen while you prepare for the transfer okay so that's based around your cycle so you have to wait for your period and then um the transfer is actually pretty easy it's only one injection versus the retrieval i don't think i said this before the retrieval you're doing two at least two weeks worth of two to three injections a day okay that you're just doing subcutaneously at home so that you it's um it's not hard it's just it's just giving yourself a shot it's just giving yourself a shot three times a day (laughs) and it's it's into your your fat and and it's it doesn't really hurt but it's just it's just not comfortable yeah and and the the goal with that is it just um it's all hormones and Mm -hmm. they want to beef up the follicles which is the little sack that holds your eggs so it makes them really big and photogenic. So on imaging, they can see them better. So then when they go in for the retrieval, they can just grab them. Get them really good. Yeah. So women with, like, higher egg counts can look, like, six-month pregnant after all these oh injections. Gosh, because I have a lower egg count, it wasn't as bad for me. <laughs> yeah, like, I was fine. <laughs> I, I will say, for me, the whole thing, like, emotionally was way harder than it was physically. Okay. So physically, it was actually like not not horrible. Like I I, I was able to work full time the whole time during all That's of this. Incredible. <laughs> um, and I worked full time nights, which was another story that like was Just, not good I for my health. I can't even imagine. <laughs> but in some ways, that was easier because I could go to all of my many many doctors' appointments. appointments. Oh. But just exhausting. Yeah, and just know the whole time it's like every few days you're getting blood work every few days. Sometimes like multiple days in a row you're getting ultrasounds like leading up to your retrieval or your transfer. So it it is a time commitment with appointments and all that. But it's doable. You can totally do it, but you do have to kind of plan around for some of that. Absolutely. So you did the hormones before the retrieval. Do you continue the hormones after the transfer? Um, not, not, not with injections. So, um, when they, so they wait, they wait, they're watching your follicle sizes, um, leading up to ovulation. Mm -hmm. So right before the transfer, you're going in like, you know, every one to two days until the follicles just at the right size, which means you're about to ovulate. And then based on your blood work, they'll have you either, um, do one injection to stimulate ovulation or um, they'll just go off your natural ovulation if your blood if work is high enough mm-hmm. um, which is really just your LH surge is what they're looking for um, so I believe that I did the um, injection to stimulate my ovulation which just gives you a stronger better chance of ovulating and then from there it's about a week out that they'll do the actual transfer so okay. transfer is just one injection lots of ultrasounds and blood work leading up to it um, but from the injection standpoint, that's it. And then they have you take, normally they have you take progesterone as well just to beef up those levels because when you do miscarry, that's usually the first thing that drops. drops. So. Yeah. Anyway, so then you just process. go in and then they <laughs> take their, they, 
that morning they thawed your embryo and they gave you a little picture of your embryo and yeah, <laughs> it's just this like, little hey. blob and <laughs> anyways and then they just it it feels very similar to a pap smear okay. um they just kind of slip a little catheter through your cervix in your uterus and then they push the embryo in there and that's it oh it goodness. takes like five minutes so that's, that's the easy part yeah so any future transfers we do that you know that'll be it we won't Hopefully, you won't have yeah, to go through, go through the, the retrieval process. process. The retrieval okay. process is the hard part, I'd say. So, in how all long? This. How long will your embryos that are frozen be viable? Um, indefinitely, okay. years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we That's actually had to ship them from Texas here to Utah secure. recently because oh <laughs> you're like, wait, our yeah, babies are in Texas. <laughs> yeah, so that was really scary, but luckily they made yeah. it safely, and there were no imagine. issues. Yeah, they had to get like overnighted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that is like such a wild thought. It is. When you I like know. Say that out loud and it's like <laughs> I know. When you work so hard for those little embryos, so you just you don't want anything to happen to them, oh, no, and absolutely. then you're like you also don't want to have to go through the retrieval process too point. many times in your life because it's just a lot it's on your body. Yeah. So no, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. That's and then um, we just told them when we got pregnant with our first child we were like just pick you know the strongest one so that's what they did and that's how you end up with our little boy that's amazing and maybe that's why he was almost 10 pounds he was our <laughs> yeah, best we embryo were just talking about that. <laughs> he was a giant baby a boy. <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing you were saying though that your pregnancy was pretty low-key yeah, I was, I think I had the difficult part on getting pregnant. Yeah. I feel like everyone has something really yes. hard, right? You yes. Barely, very few people get away scotch-free with no issues <laughs> anywhere, right? right. Yeah. So I did have a pretty just normal pregnancy. Um, Ford was large. I didn't have gestational diabetes. He just was big. Amazing. He was just long, <laughs> very tall, like my husband. And n normal delivery. I had an epidural, okay. which was amazing. Was that always your plan? Pretty much. Um, as a nurse, I've seen deliveries both ways. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it just made sense to have an epidural. Um, I have also have a really low pain tolerance. So I'm like, yeah, that. I think... Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think I got it at around when I was six centimeters dilated, and the Which contractions leading up to that work. was really <laughs> hard. So yeah. kudos to the women who don't get an epidural. Every time I talk to someone, I'm like, you Yeah. Which, okay, can we actually talk about some of the rhetoric we use? Oh, my gosh. And Nothing I don't know if you've talked about this with other people on your show, but um, – in the United States, we love to use these terms like a natural, natural birth. birth. Yeah. Oh. And I hope I'm not the only one that, that really bothers because it, I feel like it, um, I don't know, it almost like lessens the experience of someone who chooses to have yeah. a medicated birth. It absolutely does. And like yeah. whether they verbalize that or not, they feel it. And yeah, it's just like, like an unspoken. And it goes both ways, I think. Like totally. sometimes I feel judged by people for having epidural, but they probably feel judged by me for having a yes, a natural yeah. home a birth, natural right? Home birth. Yes, totally. I so know. I just, like in France, they don't say, you know, a natural birth or they say, uh, what's the word? Um, Hold on. When you're like trying to think of it in English. <laughs> There's, I, I like Japanese wrote it down. Like, oh my heart. Okay, so the French describe birth as e either 
péridural, which is epidural, <laughs> or sans péridural, which is without, without epidural. epidural. It's either with or without. It's not natural or medicated. Yeah. It's just one or the other. And I mean, it's such a it just makes more sense distinction to me. And like, why do we not say that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, no. I feel like I get judged by some people um, for not having epidural, and it, like, lessened my experience. I'm not as strong as a woman. I didn't have this amazing birth experience because I didn't you do a home water birth. It because, like, your But from my perspective, was I was able to really enjoy it because I wasn't in any pain, pain, and I was lucky where I had a really good epidural I know sometimes those can go wrong mm. but I I trusted the system and I think it's because I know the system I worked yes. in it the beauty of being nurses you guys is that <laughs> we do get to see more than the average person yeah and is, and I do nice. understand why some people don't trust the system sometimes things go wrong and For people sure. have really bad experiences in hospitals and with birth and epidurals and all of that but I'm here to tell you, if, if it's done well and it's done right, it, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, I agree. Where where I used to work as a labor and delivery nurse, they were very adamant about speaking to the mothers, especially directly, like just saying unmedicated or medicated versus natural. Yeah, there's because there's a stigma with that. Yeah, there's a very, very big mm-hmm. stigma that just really does take a toll on everybody involved in the birth process Mm -hmm. don't you love it when they come in and they like hand you their birthing plan and you're just like let me throw this out the window because the amount of times i just want to be like sweetie if this works i will be thrilled (laughs) try our best do not hate me and do not resent those are always your baby because she's gonna be here those are always the ones that end up with the emergency c-section i swear always and i'm just like just just take it all in the baby will get here one way or the other and if your plan doesn't yep. work you are not a bad mother your body no. is not like to reject you like i'm mm-hmm. just like okay yeah birth is so tricky because yeah. you you don't know what's gonna happen no nope. and your body really just it's a force of nature to get this baby here it and is. it's That's gonna amazing. get here one way or another yep and you know i wish everybody could know that no matter how this baby these babies come into the world like it's beautiful and it's meant to be that way for them and there's nothing unnatural about it whether you have a vaginal birth a c-section it's all natural it's all good yes exactly (laughs) thank you for agreeing with me (laughs) seriously so your birth board was 10 pounds yeah almost 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 10 pounds but the funny part was there was no indication he was that big oh no i was measuring i I was around 39 weeks when i went i went into spontaneous labor and 39 (laughs) i know 39 centimeters 39 weeks like my whole pregnancy just measured like i did gain a lot of weight which was frustrating but i think your body just does how did you feel about that it was hard because i've always been thin yes and And for those who can't see sarah she's like tall beautiful skinny (laughs) i can imagine that experiencing like an extreme i gained like 45 pounds with my pregnancy um but like i was measuring normal just right on so yeah. i'm just like it, you know it's just some covid pounds and <laughs> you're like what your body you? just does what it's going to do and i think i was able to like kind of have that perspective because i had a close friend who um was similar where she was like very fit like she's a registered dietitian like the picture of health yes. and she had like 50 pound plus pregnancies with oh all her goodness. babies yeah 
and she's like, I just came to the conclusion that, that your That's body just does body what did. it's going to do. Yeah. She's like, and I was eating like so healthy and I still gained all this weight yeah so uh, that's what I just kept telling myself but I hated it in the moment um and then I swear like I had my baby he was huge like I lost all that extra (laughs) fluid and like it was like a few weeks later I dropped like 30 pounds (laughs) like (laughs) like that was amazing yeah so that was crazy (laughs) and then um I did breastfeed which I loved nursing so if anyone's not sure about it just try it and I don't know if you nursed your baby I did yes and I loved it as well but I'm curious what your experience was because yeah I will say with Lewis, I had a little bit of a rocky start. I think everyone does. And understandably. <laughs> yeah. While I do believe breastfeeding is natural <laughs> to an extent, natural using that word <laughs> with quotes around it, um, there's like a learning curve that no one no one had, talks about. No one had talked yeah. about or like yeah. prepared me for mentally. Okay. I, but they're and like, like, oh, the baby will just latch. I'm like, right. whoa. <laughs> to <laughs> that point, like the whole postpartum, I was not prepared for it. And I'm a nurse. Like I thought right? I knew. I had, I had some tearing with my giant baby <laughs> and his giant head. <laughs> and so that part, like healing, was really hard. Yeah. Like I couldn't even like sit down. Like oh I had to gosh. use like a donut, <laughs> and oh it was my like gosh, girl. that was rough. And uh, my at the time, my husband had a broken collarbone, so he was no help. So I felt like a single parent yes. with my newborn. I my thank goodness, my mom, who uh, is also a nurse, she did L and V too. Oh, she would come during amazing. the day and help, but like. This baby was up all night yeah. in the no, beginning. You're it late, was just like, but I need you at three in the morning I <laughs> when I can't get off my donut pillow. <laughs> I know, and you're just like sitting on the toilet, and you're using your little bottle, the, and the everything bottle. hurts. Yeah, that I was not properly prepared for that. Breastfeeding, um, I had like issues with like clogged ducts and mastitis. Mm. Um, because my baby was so large, he demanded a large supply, and so I actually had this, like, oversupply time. issue. I went and saw a lactation specialist. I feel like my whole maternity leave was just, like, figuring out breastfeeding <laughs> the first two months. You're, like, great. But then once we got it figured out and your nipples <laughs> adjusted, because Adjust I also again. had a oh yeast gosh. infection in my nipples, oh my which gosh. was awful. Sarah, I That was worse imagine. than mastitis. And if you don't know, mastitis is... A clogged duct that gets infected, and you get this it's just the most big red boob. And it, anyways, you go on some antibiotics, and it's fine. But the the okay. yeast infection. <laughs> I'm stop you for two seconds because I was reading the other day about like remedies for mastitis, uh-huh. and they said to put like cabbage leaves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. cabbage <laughs> Did leaves. Did you do that? Um, no. <laughs> okay. I was like, but I have heard that I a know. lot. I just called my doctor and got antibiotics. <laughs> But um, that's like kind of an old wives' tale, but people do swear by it. So there, there must be some sort of medicinal properties. I don't think it can like heal it, but I think it can soothe. Okay, it can soothe the swelling. Yeah, I don't know. I remember when I worked at a NICU in Texas, um, we had a mom that had really bad mastitis. Like no one had told her she needed to pump. Apparently, so anyways, we so our old school charge nurse called the cafeteria and they sent up cabbage leaves oh, no. oh. so i oh guess i gosh. have seen it in that case but 
Well, I don't think that's like officially recommended (laughs) anymore. I'm like, yeah, again, not a doctor, not recommending. Yeah. If you want to try the cabbage leaves, let me know. (laughs) So yeah, breastfeeding was, was really hard, but I, but like, so once you get over that hump, it is really just magical and, and convenient usually. So convenient once they like get quick at it. (laughs) And obviously it's amazing for your baby. Now, not to say you can still have a very healthy baby on formula, Absolutely. And I think a fed I, baby yeah. and a healthy, happy yes. baby. But more for my amazing. own, like, selfishness, I loved nursing. That bonding. Yeah, was, the bonding. Yeah. I feel like that's what it was for you, just yeah. being able to spend that time with Chloe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. How long did you nurse for? 11 months. And then he started biting. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> so he ended. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I remember Lewis when he got teeth. He stopped nursing when he was probably, like, 13 months old. And he just okay. got so disinterested. Or he would be, like, yep. doing headstands, and I'm like, okay, little man, like, we <laughs> cannot, you have front teeth, we are done. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, once the biting started with the teeth, I'm like, all right, like, we're done, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, he had no issue with a bottle, because I was working, working since he was three months, so he had to take a bottle early on when I was working, so he could do both. I know that can be a huge challenge for a lot of babies to switch yes. off. Um, which, you know, if you are thinking you want to breastfeed after you have your baby, but you will go be going back to work, they just recommend introducing a bottle between six and eight weeks. Yeah, get them just used so to they are used to it. Because I have a friend who um, we have babies like almost the exact same age, and he's still nursing overnight and like oh won't goodness. take a bottle. And because he's still like nurses overnight, he's gotten these cavities that he had to go get oh, filled no. with. At, at primary children's, like under general <laughs> anesthesia, oh, my it has gosh. just been this like huge issue. So, darn it! I think there is a time and place for nursing. Like, it, you know, I don't, I don't want to judge people for still nursing older babies because oh, you know it's your baby. Not, but like, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes yeah. you have to no, do I what's best for them who, and stop. I'm trying to remember. Literally, I feel like her baby was like two and a half or three yeah. and just still loved nursing but she yeah. loved it and i'm like yeah. if that works for you that's incredible yeah like, go you yeah but you know i just think people... more for myself like as magical as nursing is like there's a lot of logistics to it and you have to wear the right bra and the right shirt yes. and i don't think i didn't like i was wearing a nursing sports bra for years yeah now. i'm still <laughs> wearing my nursing yeah, bras yeah, at I'm the like, time but <laughs> it it was annoying after a while having yeah. to and like then when you go in public like it can be you know totally. an issue and yeah. you're like going in your car to nurse your baby and yes which so I don't miss that yeah that is it is convenient when they can start taking real food uh-huh. and, and, like, a bottle. and a bottle and oh yeah you gain you know kind of an independence back that you'd lost when you were a mother in a way mm-hmm. when you became a mother absolutely um, yeah you can like go out of town you don't have yeah, to pump and to pump. or bring your baby with you so yeah there is a lot of freedom lot restored of when you're done nursing yes, for sure you can like do things like you can take medication you couldn't take when you were nursing yeah, and like oh, so, many so many things, things it's like wow so you don't really think about <laughs> yeah yeah did you have any I know a lot of women experience um I guess the baby kind of experiences reflux sometimes mm, with breastfeeding mm-hmm. did you have anything in your diet that you found made for more like 
fussy. He was pretty fussy. I would put him in the colicky category for his first few months. Okay. He would, like, blow out, like, every diaper. And we could Sweet never identify, diet. like, what it was Not in my was. diet. And what stopped it was just once we introduced solids, then he, like, didn't he have issues okay. with that anymore. So I, I still don't know what it was. Yeah. Um, and part of me was like, I don't want to not give him things so that he doesn't develop that allergy later on. No, absolutely, yeah. So I probably could have done better at, like, eliminating things, but he was he was still okay, yeah. you know, and he doesn't have any allergies or fine. issues now. So oh, I know. The colicky thing is weird. It's just, like, this big umbrella Thing. We like to. Like they don't really know. We don't really grumpy, know what's so. going on, but they kind of have tummy issues, so they're colicky, and yeah. it's like, but it doesn't really mean anything, you yeah. know. So, no, exactly. no, but no, he didn't have reflux. Thank goodness, because I've taken care of a lot of babies with that, and it's so Brutal. sad. It is yeah, so, so sad. So, so, so bad. Yeah, that's so lucky. Well, I'm glad that he nursed well for you, and that it was an enjoyable experience. It was. It, it ended up being positive, but good. yeah, the I guess I wish more people had prepared me for the hard part of nursing and the hard part of postpartum. Yes, which I just feel like really isn't talked about that much. No. So, if you could say three things that you wish someone had told you more about <laughs> or like anything like that, <clears throat> what would they be? <laughs> um I wasn't prepared for the tearing with my vaginal mm. delivery and how bad that would be and how painful that recovery would be. It was probably a good three weeks before I felt like I could even, like, leave my house and, like, walk around normally. Mm. Not everyone's experience is that bad with tearing. Some people don't tear at all. Yeah. Um, but for me, that – I just totally underestimated that. Did you – this – you don't have to answer this if you're not comfortable – but I have been advised before in my own prenatal checks, and I've heard it like given as advice, being a nurse, that um, like to like stretch before, or sometimes like they'll recommend like using like coconut oil and like yeah. starting to stretch your perineum to like. Lim- no one really told me that. Okay. Uh, I was told to stretch like I don't know how my hips and like. Those muscles for, like, the actual labor and, like, mm-hmm. Kegel exercises. Yeah, for sure. I hate that word. I but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a But no one, yeah, none of the, like, labial stretching okay. was ever explained to me. Okay. So maybe that would have helped. Maybe it wouldn't have because I had such a giant baby. Yeah. It's hard to say. And I know, like, a lot of times with, like, future children, it does get easier. Like, your body just kind of knows what yeah, to do a little better. Um, and I had a great L&D team where they, like, labored me down. I only pushed for, like, 15 minutes. Oh, amazing. Like, they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. And, and it did help that my mom was there, who's also an L&D nurse. But um, I can't imagine if I had, like, a, you know, I only had a second degree tear with a big baby. And I know some women have third and fourth degrees. And those, like, are just unbearable. I know. And you're on, like, some pretty hardcore pain meds. and. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I can't imagine having that. I mean, I would rather just have a C-section at that point honestly, if I'm going to tear that bad. the recovery side, I honestly agree. Yeah. And you, <laughs> so yeah, you've seen. cheers to all mamas oh, that have gone through I, that. <laughs> and I was actually, as a nurse, like, I can understand the beauty in, like, a controlled environment. 
and I was just like almost like do I just like ask for a scheduled c-section <laughs> because oh, sure. I'm like that just sounds so easy it's you go just in like <laughs> I know when my baby's gonna come. yeah <laughs> yeah like yeah. and but my doctor I actually like brought it up with her and she's like let's just see how it let's goes just try yeah she's so like are you ultimately grateful you tried for a vaginal delivery yes okay I, I think so I guess you haven't like, like I don't have a big I don't I haven't experienced the other I don't have a scar and that healing can be hard too especially mm-hmm. I know like those wounds can get infected quite easily and oh, have yeah. issues but I don't know that <laughs> I had a hard recovery um the second thing I would say is like what I wish I had known is just like how hard the first few weeks of breastfeeding would be mm-hmm. which we've already talked about yeah um, my milk took like four days to come in, okay. which was, I was like starting to panic to so because I'm like, when is my milk coming in? Normally yeah. it takes two or three days. Mine came in on day four postpartum and it came in with like a vengeance mm-hmm. and like the encroachment. I think it was just, mostly swelling. Yeah. Oh, and then just you're just so like painful. leaking, the leaking. The no one told leaking. me about the leaking <laughs> and how that you just be good. in the, the shower leaking. and all of a sudden you have you're a like letdown. A you hear faucet. your baby cry. <laughs> you have a letdown and it just like comes out like a yeah. squirt gun. Like I imagine more of like a drip. Yeah. No, no. it's not. It's like a sprinkler. Like yes. a full blown like it's sprinkler crazy. in the park. It's like, <laughs> like I remember specifically one time getting out of the shower and all of a sudden, I had a letdown, and like I had to like lean over the sink because it was all just like coming You're out. Like, this is gonna be I'm everywhere. like, bring me the baby. Like, <laughs> that is so real. See, you forget. I'm sitting here like <laughs> I know you're about to have your baby. I forgot about that. <laughs> so that was not fun. Um, the third thing. Oh man, we've talked about a lot of a lot of things. Um, but just know that, like, those hard few weeks don't last forever. And just to try and enjoy that, like, newborn, like, truly newborn phase. Because it goes so fast. Like, because you're, like you blink and you're in this, big. like, haze, this blur. You don't know what day it is. Oh, yeah. Because you're just in you're newborn so world. You're not <laughs> sleep. I don't think I slept the first five days. Like, yeah, straight, straight up, up, did not sleep. Yeah. And <laughs> I wish I had just kind of, like, not been so stressed about it all about just it. knowing like it'll it'll get better like you'll be fine because you just you just don't know what you don't know and so yeah, exactly. even as a registered nurse who works with babies I was like felt clueless when it came to so many of these things I love that that and that is literally the essence of why I wanted to create this podcast is yeah. because you really don't know what you don't know yeah. <laughs> until you get there and you're like oh my gosh I had no idea (laughs) and it's just so empowering again to hear from people who you know have made it onto the other side and can be that sunshine at the end of the tunnel when you feel you know like you're in a pretty dark place of just out of control of everything in your life (laughs) because I feel like for me that's how it kind of was for those first couple days Mm -hmm. it's just like oh my gosh it's like there's no there's no end in sight yeah we I don't even know how to function yeah and so being able to you know hear someone say it gets better Mm -hmm. and like to truthfully share that like you know those those things that seem like they'll never end they do Mm -hmm. and it's okay and you're gonna look back on them and be like oh it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't I so blinked. bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping eventually when I have another baby that it 
goes a little smoother just because I know what I'm doing more mm-hmm. so than like the baby not necessarily the baby being like an easier baby but just yeah but you'll just have just knowing what to do and (laughs) just having perspective like oh like absolutely this is just gonna last for a few months and we'll be out of this phase yeah Yeah. but now I like I love that first year Uh, and now that he's out of it and he's just like this pre-toddler toddlers all of a sudden and he's so fun but he is just like wild and does not ever (laughs) stop and i'm exhausted you're like (laughs) so do you think baby number two is in the near future or do you think you'll wait a little while well since you asked we actually just did another transfer this week so thank you exciting i'll send all my good baby vibes thank you (laughs) so we'll find out in like 10 days if it works it works so I and know, you don't know the fingers crossed. We don't know the gender. Okay. Well, I'll cross my fingers that it's another little brother. Thank you. <laughs> and then both of our babies can be. Yes, uh, that <laughs> would have be babies perfect. like weeks apart from each other. Yeah, okay. that's right. <laughs> well, awesome, Sarah. Is there anything else that you would like to say, like to share? Hmm. Let me just look at my notes real quick. I know she is a wealth of knowledge here. Oh, the only thing I wrote a little blurb on um, was just, like, be careful in your choice of words when you're talking to people that might be going through infertility, even if you don't know if they are, Mm -hmm. um, because words really matter, especially when you're in the thick of it. It it can be really painful for people to ask those questions. So, for example, I was at church one Sunday, and this – lady who I didn't know came up to me and started talking to me and she was like oh do and my husband was with me and she's like do you have a family like implying like do you have children and like I'm like how do I answer that like and it was a well-intended question but just like her word choice was really poor Mm -hmm. and I kind of just like snapped like it just triggered me and I'm like we don't have any children but we're still a family yeah and I like feel bad for you know kind of snapping at her but I still feel very strongly about that answer because even though it's a very simple question, oh, do you have a family? Like, when you really think about it, like, what are you implying that, like, people without children aren't a family? family You know, it's just a weird way to say it. So just odd way to say it. Yeah, just be really sensitive. And unless you know that person really well, like, just maybe don't ask. Mm -hmm. Like, like, hey, like, when are you having a baby? You guys have been married forever. Like, Because chances are, like, they already know that, and they might be have been trying for a while or have had miscarriages. So, mm-hmm. just I do feel yeah, like that be is, careful with your choice of words. Yeah. You know, that's such a wise piece of advice. Yeah, and I feel like I've been in situations personally where you know I haven't known whether they've been trying or not, and and I feel very apprehensive to like breach the subject. And right. some people, you know, some people do want you to ask and like be there for them yeah you know we're like on the back side of it I've had friends be like I just wish someone would have asked or yeah like, and like I said it's, it's like way, it, you know? I think you can ask when you're really close to that yeah, person absolutely and you might be kind of and how you ask yeah so, and how you ask so important but if it's just like a very casual encounter yeah. <laughs> So when are you having babies? Yeah, like, like some random lady you? at church. Like, when yeah. are you guys having a baby? Like, that's just annoying, and yeah. no one wants 
and nosy. To, to <laughs> answer like, that question. Leave me alone. I'm like, do you really want to know? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, we had a miscarriage and haven't gotten pregnant since, and that was a year ago. Like, I don't think she wanted that answer. Yeah. So, oh, I know it's it's hard not to ask because you just want to assume the best, but yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with this, and no one talks about it because it's such a private matter. Yes, I have found that more people than, like, in my close circle Mm -hmm. than I ever would have even imagined. Well, and it's a lot of people you don't expect. Like, I never would have thought I would, you know, I had a very clean bill of health. I had, like, textbook normal periods and, like, no endometriosis or PCOS or things that are, like, um, this may cause you know, like you may think yeah. like oh I'm gonna have issues I had no clue like this was not in my plan at all mm-hmm. so I was very caught off guard for it myself so it just it can happen to anyone yeah that's so powerful to understand that really anybody could be suffering and we just need to be sensitive to mm-hmm. everyone around us in spite of their situations yeah yeah okay. for sure well you guys that's a wrap I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Sarah as much as I did From the details of her birth and her postpartum to walking us through the in vitro fertilization process, the step-by-step, what that was for her physically, mentally, emotionally, and, you know, the joy of the end product that she got, her beautiful little son Ford. We are so grateful for her for sharing her story and being willing to open up. I myself had no idea that the IVF process was so intense that there were so many moving pieces and so many things that came into play before they could even have the option of doing an embryo transfer. So I understand if there is someone out there that is going through this process and in vitro is your next step, it can be intimidating. But I hope that as you listen to Sarah's story, you find courage and you know that you now have a little bit more of an expectation for what the process may be and hopefully will experience a successful outcome just as Sarah did.